Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame this week. I'm Keith Collins, your host, and as with every week, I'm so blessed to know that you're with us here today, and I pray and trust that what you are about to hear will encourage you, it will strengthen you. And it will even challenge you to go further and further and deeper and deeper into the purposes of God for your life. You know, every one of us have a calling upon our lives, and we might not all be called to be a preacher or a pastor or an evangelist or maybe a church planter or a missionary, maybe overseas. But every one of us are called to spread the gospel, to make disciples, to be a person of prayer to be a worshiper of Jesus, and really to make a difference in our generation. And, you know, through the years, I've come to realize that it's not just those that are, quote, in the profession of ministry that make the greatest difference, but oftentimes it's those that are in the workplace, those that are in the marketplace, those that maybe own a business or those that are maybe in sales or maybe they're in retail, whatever whatever the occupation might be, every place that we are is a mission field, and God wants to use us powerfully in every setting. Well, again, we're blessed that you're here this week, and I pray that every week is a blessing to you. We we hear from people around the world. Thankfully, we're able to reach into many nations, even into nations where it's not even legal to preach the gospel. God has afforded us the opportunity through different mediums to, to reach into those areas. So we are, we're blessed. And wherever you're at today, whether you're in America, whether you're in Cuba, whether you're in South America, whether you're in Asia, Africa, whatever continent of the world you're on, whatever nation you're in, I trust that you are walking in all that God has for you. And I also trust that this program is a blessing to you and to yours. So thank you again for being with us here today. And today, I want to talk about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. And um, to be honest with you, it's been very close to me over the last several weeks. I finally completed a book that I started a few months ago. I finished it um, last Tuesday while I was down in Florida with my family. Late in the night, I I finished the final chapter, and I'm excited to have this book published and released. It'll be available around the 1st of November, and we'll let you know how you can get a copy of that. It'll be on Amazon as well as multiple other platforms where you can get it. Um, but but this message that, that I felt compelled to the Lord to write about is really heavy upon my heart. So I want to spend some time on that today and maybe even next week. And 
The name of the book is actually First Love Fire, and the subtitle is Living a Life of Sustained Surrender. So when the Lord really dealt with my heart about this theme, um, you know, of course, I've, I've read about what it means to have a first love experience with the Lord for many, many years, and I've read of great heroes of the faith and great missionaries, even people that have laid their lives down for the gospel. And by the grace of God, I've been blessed to spend time with the persecuted church around the world and have even had some close calls myself as I was with some of those dear brothers and sisters in different regions of the world. And there's something about them that always stood out to me. And that is the fact that their allegiance, their dedication to the Lord was not bold, not basically or or primarily, excuse me, not primarily focused on discipleship and discipline and dedication and all those things, even though that was clearly a part of their lives. Matter of fact, you can't really understand what it means to live for the Lord and walk with the Lord unless you understand that we are disciplined followers. We are disciples. And the word disciple is used many times in the New Testament to describe those that adhered to Jesus and his teachings, and they followed him. So clearly, I acknowledge the fact that we are disciplined followers of Jesus. In fact, you really can't have a prayer life unless you're disciplined in prayer. Now, there's a grace that comes through the discipline. However, these foundations have to be in place. However, with that said, there is an overarching principle, I think, that we need to see and we need to understand. And the truth is you can have a disciplined life, you can live noble, you can have a pious life, you can embrace strict standards and, and all these kind of things, and there's there's great merit in all those things. However, you can do all of that and not have a first love experience with the Lord. And really, this, this book that I just completed, 10 chapters, about 170 pages or so, 168 pages or so, um, I think it'll end up being that when we're totally done. But But my... My heart was to prove that and to show that there are many people who know a lot about the Lord, but they don't really know the Lord. They know how to do ministry. They know how to sing the songs in the church. They know how to go to a prayer meeting. They pay tithes. They go on mission trips. They support missionaries. They do all these things, and all these things are, are necessary and they're needed, but you can do every one of those things and not really have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to I want to read some scripture to you as I start off today and um, kind of open this theme up. And I'm talking about what it means to have a first love fire in your life. And listen to listen to the Book of Revelation. Of course, Luke wrote le- wrote Revelation, and um, I want you to listen to this. I'm sorry, John wrote Revelation. Luke wrote Acts. Excuse me. That's what happens whenever you're so involved in teaching and preaching. Sometimes you get some names mixed up. But John, the revelator, wrote John. Of course, John was the one that most scholars believe was the closest to Jesus. And he was the one that was exiled off the shore of Ephesus, several miles off the shore of Ephesus, onto the island of Patmos. And on the island of Patmos is where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, which we have in our canonized scripture today, our, our Bible, our New Testament, um, we have it there and it, it shows and it proves so much. But I want you to listen to, to John's words here in Revelation chapter two. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand 
and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But listen to verse four, and this kind of changes everything. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Then he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I want you to hear now, of course, John writes Revelation, but these are literally the words of Jesus that John is recording. And he's writing to the church of Ephesus. If you know anything about the church of Ephesus, of course, um, Timothy, the spiritual protege or son of the apostle Paul, at one time was the seemed to be the apostolic leader. Oftentimes we call him the pastor. We call the first and second Timothy and Titus pastoral epistles. I've often thought they were more apostolic epistles because these men, Timothy, primarily we see this. There's much more written to Timothy than what we see written to Titus, the bo both the letters. But Timothy is clearly fulfilling an apostolic role in Ephesus. And we we see at the time that Timothy was there that that Paul is really encouraging him to defend doctrine, to defend truth. And it appears that there were false teachers that had risen up from within the church there and were teaching or espousing heresy. Therefore, it was important that Timothy stand bold in his calling. Um, not only that, Paul encourages him to remember where he came from. He reminds him of his grandmother and his mother of, of Lois and Eunice and their sincere faith, as well as the faith that was in the apostle Paul. And he encourages him to stir up or to fan in the flame, the gift of God that was in Timothy that came by the way of Paul laying hands on him. So my point in pointing this out is that Ephesus has quite a history. I mean, Paul was personally involved there. Timothy was on the ground there for a long time. And it appears that there was a sense of sobriety, a sense of piety, a sense of holiness, so to speak, especially externally. I mean, the Lord really commends them for many things and even shows that, that the church there was not just a fly by night, but they were strong in many, many things. Again, they are, they're recommended for their labor, for their patience, for their resistance to the false apostles. And I mean, just a powerful looking church. And to be honest with you, compared to a lot of what we might see in modern Christianity, they would probably stand high above what we see oftentimes in this generation. However, with all of their external religious facade, with all of their apparent holy standards and, and demeanor and practices, the Lord says, I have something against you. And what does he have against them? The fact that they had forsaken or they had left their first love. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, listen, you, you've got one option. You've got to repent. You've got to repent and go back and return to your first works. Now let me just let me just share a little personal history with you here. 
I was born again on January the 24th of 1985. And at that time, I, I, I came into close contact with the love of God and the fire of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And it radically changed my life. I fell so in love with Jesus, the the revivalist, the evangelist at the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida in the 1990s named Steve Hill, he would talk about what it meant to be so saved. In other words, saved in the way that you're not just trying Jesus out to see if he works. You're not just giving him a chance. And if it works, okay, if it doesn't, no, I'm talking about saved to the point that you are radically arrested. You are divinely apprehended by the love of God. The reality of the, the horror and the glory of Calvary's cross, of Jesus beaten, bloodied for you, becomes real to you. And the only response is my life for the gospel. And that that's what happened to me. I, I can't explain it all. I wasn't one of those people that was at the bottom of the barrel. I was in sin. I was a teenager, and I was involved in a lot of things that I, I should have never been involved in. However, I was young and I was enjoying sin. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but God interrupted my life and he apprehended and arrested my very heart and he became everything to me. I, I fell so in love with Jesus. I, I, it's hard to, to even explain. I mean, literally one, one moment I was living for myself and then I experienced the presence of God and conviction. Somehow I got from the back of a little church to the front and I was on my back. And for a long time, just the power and the love of God just flooded my heart. I, I felt like a funnel from heaven was put into my heart and just the love and the fire and the glory of God just ran through my being and it radically changed my life forever. I prayed a prayer after that, but I had such an encounter with Jesus that I found my first love. I fell in love with him. My, my passion was to pray. My Listen, it was hard for me to even sleep sometimes because I just wanted to lay on the floor of my bedroom in my home as a boy and just be in the presence of God and, and, and pray. And I began to, to fast. I didn't even understand what it meant, but I knew it was something that people did in the Bible, and it was something that some of the great heroes of the faith had done. So, man, I was so in love with Jesus. Anytime there was a prayer meeting, I would go to the prayer meeting. If I had to drive three hours just to get to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, I would do it because I was so in love with Jesus. And, and I have to tell you that that lasted for a long time. And by the grace of God, I'm more in love with him now than I've ever been before. However, there have been times in my life, 37 years now almost, of ministry, pastoring churches, directing Bible colleges, um, doing international and domestic ministry, really preaching around the world and teaching leaders around the world. There have been times whenever I didn't fall out of love with Jesus, but I got so busy with ministry activity that I began to compromise my first love experience with the Lord. I was doing good things. I was doing godly things. I was having a positive impact on the people I was around. However, I had left my first love on a certain level. And when I look at the way that Jesus speaks to the church of Ephesus, he does not rebuke them for adultery. He does not rebuke them for false teaching. He does not rebuke them for not having good church services or good worship services. He does not rebuke them for not knowing um, the scriptures. No, he rebukes them because they have forsaken or they have walked away from their first love, which has to be 
Jesus. There's, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus comes up to a rich young ruler and the rich young ruler, he's desirous to have what Jesus has. He, he wants eternal life. He wants to, he wants to go to heaven. He wants to be a follower of Jesus. So he asked Jesus, you know, what is this? What does this require? And, and Jesus responds to him and, and he says, listen, I've, I've been faithful. I've, I've kept the 10 commandments. I've been faithful to the law and the feast and all these things. But Jesus says, listen, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what was he going after? He wasn't attacking the man's outward piety. He wasn't attacking the man's traditions, his Jewish traditions, but he was dealing with the fact that his heart was not set upon a first love experience with Jesus. Friend, you can be in love with the ministry. You can be in love with prophetic ministry. You can be in love with apostolic ministry. You can be in love with the latest, greatest uh, preacher out there. Maybe you love to go on mission trips and you love to help the orphans. And and listen, and I, I believe in all that stuff. I, I do that stuff myself and have for for dozens of years now, but, but listen to me, you can do all those things and not have a first love intimate experience with Jesus. Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus, listen, the problem is not what you're not, what you're doing. The problem is what you're not doing. The problem is that you have forsaken me for my ministry. You have forsaken intimacy and worship and spending time with me radically, completely loving me, and you have fallen in love with the things that are connected to me. You know, oftentimes Jesus becomes a means to an end and not the everything. In other words, a lot of people, especially even those, and I'm, I'm speaking as a minister, I've been minister now for again, well over three decades, but oftentimes in ministry, Ministers use Jesus in order to make their ministries bigger and better. And of course, they have to use Jesus because he validates the fact that they're called to ministry. But if we're not careful, we will prostitute the Lord. And that might sound harsh and hard, but we will prostitute even the gifts of God in our lives in order to make ourselves look holy, to make ourselves look powerful, to make ourselves look anointed. Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus and he says, listen to me. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away from religion. You've got to turn away from the things that make you feel fulfilled in your flesh. You've got to turn away from the things that cause men to look at you and adore you for your holiness and for your super spirituality. You've got to turn away from those things. Those things can become idolatry. And oftentimes it's the idols of ministry that have to be toppled in our hearts so that what we do is only done through intimacy, through awe, through reverence, through the fear of God that leads to a first love experience. And if this is not right in our lives, if this is not right in our ministry, and my friend, we simply find ourselves going through the motions without any true, genuine, lasting experience with Jesus. I am saddened oftentimes as I, I hear about leaders that fall away from the faith. I mean, whether it be into adultery or stealing money from their church or, I mean, there, it, it seems like there's always something every six months or so, even a major key leader is exposed in sin or in addiction or in sexual perversion or maybe laundering money, whatever, but, but something arises. But I want to tell you something. 
most of the time, 99% of the time, I believe it didn't start that way. These people started in love with Jesus, on fire for Jesus. They, they were given to Jesus, but oftentimes the ministry became bigger than what God wanted it to be. And therefore, they begin to build build their own kingdom and their own ministry instead of exalting the name of Jesus. And as a result, they had to begin to compromise the calling upon their lives. And they began to enter into burnout stage and management took over prayer and corporate Christianity took over the secret place. And when they forsook the secret place, oftentimes they entered into secret sin. And as a result, the enemy comes in, compromise begins to arise in their hearts. And before you know it, they have fallen away. Sometimes they, they fall so far, far away that they even enter into heresy. And some, and I won't mention names, but some key leaders that 10, 15, 20 years ago, preached the gospel and were making a difference for eternity, have now become apostates and have forsaken the faith altogether. Friend, that doesn't happen overnight. Somewhere along the way, they began to compromise their first love experience. They might be building another church. They might be adding another campus to their churches and another um you know, another leader in their staff and all the things that oftentimes come with growth. And listen, growth can be good. It can be godly if it's governed through intimacy with Jesus. But but, but when it becomes motivated by the success, desirous or, or desired oftentimes in the heart of humanity, then my friend, it can become the greatest enemy to our first love experience. And I don't know who I'm speaking to. And to be honest with you, my my point today was not really to, to speak just to ministers, even though this can go for everybody. But for some reason, I believe the Lord is putting his finger on some of you today that are either watching this by YouTube, or maybe you're listening to this um, through radio. This goes out by radio, or maybe even through a podcast. And somewhere, somebody's hearing this. And the Lord loves you so much that he's calling you to return to your first love. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to get back to the simplicity of your faith, that it's not about your next book. It's not about your next worship song. It's not about your next sermon series. It's not about the next campus you're going to plan on the other side of town, or it's not about how many services you're going to add to your Sunday agenda. No, friend, it's about, do you know Jesus? Are you intimate with him? Does he have your heartbeat or is he just the mascot that validates your ministry activity and your religious show that oftentimes is production driven and not first love driven? You see, the Lord in his wisdom and in his mercy looks at a church like Ephesus, which again, on the outside from the external view, looks like the perfect church, the church that I want to be a part of, the church that many of you would want to be a part of. But Jesus looks deeper, and he recognizes a critical spiritual fracture in their foundation. He recognizes that they are not in love with him, even though they love the things of God. Can I tell you, there are some here in me today, you love miracles, you love signs, you love wonders, you love prophecy, you love word of knowledge. You love missions. I mean, you love all these things, but you're not in love with Jesus. It's just become your life, kind of the way that that maybe some people, they grow up in a family that that is given to maybe athletics. Maybe everybody in their family coaches football or coaches baseball. And man, they just love it because they've always done it. It's just the fabric of their family. Or maybe it's 
a family that's into maybe investments and man, they're into securities and mutual funds and stocks and throughout their whole family history since the stock market began, great, great, great grandpa has been invested in blue chips and stocks. And therefore the whole family has this knack and it's just part of their DNA. Can I tell you, there are people in church today that religious activity, spiritual activity, even Good spiritual activity is just simply a part of your DNA because you were raised in it, but you don't really know Jesus. You're not really in love with him. I mean, you love him. I'm not saying you don't love him. And I'm not saying you've never prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. But I'm saying this, friend, you're living a compromised life and you are, you've compromised that secret place of intimacy with the Lord. You are more apt and more desirous to get up and do something for Jesus than to spend time with Jesus. You've got the, what I call the Martha syndrome. What Martha was doing was not bad. I mean, Jesus was in her home and food had to be prepared. All those things have to take place. But Mary, her sister, is at the feet of Jesus. Why? Jesus isn't always in that house, friend. He's there and Mary takes advantage of the opportunity to be with him, recognizing that Jesus is more important than food and drink. He's more important than, than festivities and, and celebration. He's everything. He was her heartbeat. She wanted to be at his feet. She wanted to hear every word that came from his mouth. She wanted to be in his sphere, in his presence, in his glory. So when Martha comes and she's frustrated and she's angry at her sister and she brings it to the Lord, Jesus says, listen, Mary has chosen the better thing or the good thing. What you're doing is not bad, Martha. He, he's not saying what she was doing was evil or wrong, but Martha's chosen the best thing. Friend, what have you chosen in your life today? What have you chosen? Can you honestly say that Jesus is everything to you? Can you honestly say that, that he is, as Abraham understood, he was the treasure. God was his great treasure. Can you say that he's the pearl of great price in your life? That he's the one that you would sell everything for and go and buy that one pearl? Can you say that if he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you would say, yes, Jesus, anything, anything to be close to you. Can I tell you what I am sharing with you today is normal Christianity. It is not normal to live a life that is focused on self-interest and self-promotion and self-indulgence. We are called, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you pick up your cross and you follow me. What does the cross represent? It represents death to self, but it also represents coming alive in Jesus. We are crucified with Christ, but we are also resurrected with him to walk in this incredible life of glory and joy and blessing and hope and freedom. And that's what a first love experience is about. Listen, I'm, I'm coming to a close today and, and I want to pick this up again next week, but, but I want to speak to your heart right now. And then I want to pray for you. Friend, if you're listening to me today and the Lord is dealing with you, there's some things maybe some of you need to put down. It might even be ministry things. Maybe you need to take a, a season and and get along with God. Maybe let someone else take some of your responsibilities for a month or maybe two and get back to your first love. I promise you that it's there that everything becomes real. Everything becomes new. Everything becomes revived and refreshed. 
And it's from there that you tap in to that reservoir of strength and power and glory that never runs dry. May the presence of the Lord overwhelm you today, my friend. I want to pray for you as we get ready to close here today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everyone that's listening to this today. I pray, Lord, that you would arrest their hearts for your eternal purposes. May fresh fire, may first love fire be awakened in their hearts. Lord, use them for your glory and for your eternal purposes. We thank you, Lord, that your love towards us is strong and it's faithful. And we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening to First Love Fire today, this theme that I felt so strong upon my heart. And thank you for being a part of our our weekly ministry that we call Fan the Flame or Maintain the Flame. It's about fanning the flame of God in our hearts. And my prayer today is that you will grow closer to the Lord. Listen, if you want to learn more about our learn more about our ministry, excuse me, you can go to Keith-Collins.org or you can also find us at impactgf.org.org. Thank you. God bless. And we'll see you again next week on Maintain the Flame. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.